So we've been in the middle of a series called The First Christmas, taking a look back, taking a look at the text to see what has been tradition and legend that has been added to our Christmas celebration and what is in the text. One of the greatest, one of the most spectacular aspects of the Christmas story is the star that appeared to lure magi from the east to a little town just outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Since that first Christmas, that star never seems to have disappeared. Today, in silver and in gold, plastic, cardboard, or ceramic, it still crowns the top of almost every single Christmas tree around the world. In glitter and foil, it shines on as the single most familiar motif on most of our Christmas cards. And yet... The star of Bethlehem has puzzled scholars for centuries who wonder what it really was. Russian Vladimir Zaitsev says the star of Bethlehem was really a spaceship from a higher civilization carrying the cosmonaut Jesus into this world. Okay. Others dismiss the star as a myth or simply a literary device. Some argue it was miraculously placed by God in the heavens and is beyond any natural explanation. But many still continue to look for its astronomical and historical explanation. So as we get started, as we have done in the previous messages in this series, we're again going to test your knowledge of this well-known and seemingly very familiar part of the Christmas story, the Magi. And the star. So most of these questions are true or false. And the good news is, this is the last quiz you're going to have to take in this series. (laughs) So, question number one. The star at Jesus' birth was prophesied in the Old Testament. True or false? And I got wise counsel this morning not to ruin this next song too bad, but... How many things are wrong with the song title that Sam just played for us? We three kings of Orient are. Third, the Magi arrived at the stable after the shepherds. True or false? Four, the Magi went to Jerusalem assuming a king would be born in a capital city and that King Herod would be aware of the birth. True or false? Five, The religious leaders Herod summoned told the Magi where Jesus would be born. True or false? Six. The Bible tells us that the Magi arrived on camels. True or false? Seven. When the Magi came, they saw Jesus and Mary. But the Bible doesn't mention Joseph as being present. True or false? Frankincense and myrrh are perfumes from tree sap that come in either powder or oil form. True or false? Frankincense and myrrh were considered to be more precious than gold. True or false? Herod, King Herod, accumulated his wealth by trading in spices. True or false? 11. The Magi did not tell Herod about the child as Herod requested because, multiple choice, A, the angel told Joseph to tell them not to, 
Mary and Joseph encouraged them not to. The Magi were in a hurry to get back. Or D, the Magi were warned in a dream. And 12, the Magi took the same route home as they took to Bethlehem. True or false? So let's examine the scripture and see what it has to say about some of these questions and about the answers that go with them. So we're in Matthew, we're in the second chapter. We're going to read together the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, a, of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, let's get started. Who were the Magi? The Greek calls them simply Magi Apa Antolan, that is, Magi from the East. Magi were wise men. They were Hakamin, the scripture says. They were well educated. They often specialized in astrology, in religion, in divination, in magic, in astrology, and in medicine. The term is used in the Old Testament to describe a pagan advisor to a king, to one of the king's counselors. So Pharaoh, for example, had magi. Notice the close similarity between magi and magician. They are almost one and the same in the scriptures to interpret dreams. They were even able to intimidate or initiate some of Moses' Moses' miracles, to imitate them. And they were able to duplicate some of the ten plagues. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, was was a wise, were wise men and and magicians. As with any profession, some were good, and some were not so good. Some were evil. Some, we might even say, were demonic. They were considered to be spiritual advisors who acted as ambassadors on behalf of the king, like these magi were sent by a king, or perhaps by multiple kings in a number of adjoining countries. And they came with gifts to pay honor to this newborn king. 
So how many magi were there? Recent tradition, and by recent I mean since the 6th century, the number has been placed at three. Most likely because they presented three gifts. The assumption is that nobody would have come empty-handed. Some traditions, some legends, even go so far as to supply the three names. Gaspar, Melkor, and Balthazar. And they even report their ages, 20 and 40 and 60, respectively. They also report their skin color, white, yellow, and black respectively. These names and facts begin to appear in the 6th century, too late, if you will, for any real authenticity, and their names and their ages and their races seem to be too obviously and evenly spaced. Earlier tradition, before the 6th century, making it much more authentic, if you will, places and a large caravan of magi, some numbering as high as 12. The truth is, nobody really knows at this point for absolute sure, but three appear to be way too few and not likely. The smaller number would show significantly less respect, certainly not the respect due a king who had a star in the heavens. Tradition also adds that Thomas... The apostle that went as far as India was later able to find and then baptize the Magi into the Christian faith and to ordain them as priests in the early church. Later, the tradition, the story goes, they were martyred and presumably they were buried in Constantinople. Then during the 12th century, their remains were transferred to the Cathedral at Cologne in Germany and they supposedly rest there yet today. Interesting. But the truth is nobody really takes those claims seriously. And perhaps rightly so. So where did the Magi come from? Well, for most Israelites in Jesus' day, anything east of the Jordan River was considered to be east. East going back to their places of origin, signified three basic areas that these people could have come from, from Sheba, from Babylon, and from Persia. All three places would put them in an area that you and I know today as Arabia. But that is about as far east as is plausible or even possible Things like the Orient or even India are not considered to be a viable option. Persia, which is today's Iraq, is the first viable option. The term Magi is all often considered to have originated in the Medo-Persian Empire. And the majority of the early church leans toward Persia. In fact, the reason invading Persians are said to have spared the church of the nativity from destruction in 614 AD was because when they got there, they noticed the mosaic over the doorway of over the entrance to the church depicted magi in Persian headdresses. Art 
in the second century Rome catacombs also dresses the Magi in Persian garments. Early Syriatic traditions give them Persian names. The Persian Magi were credited with higher religious and intellectual attainments, while the Babylonian Magi were sometimes considered to be imposters. The second plausible option is Babylon, that is today's Iran. The primary reason for thinking Babylon is that astronomy was more highly developed in Babylon than in any other country in that day, including Persia. And Babylon had a large Jewish community which would have known about the prophecies of the Old Testament. And then there's Sheba, today's Yemen. It was known for its wealth of gold and jewels and spices. And the truth is, it seems to have the most scriptural precedence. So, for example, Isaiah chapter 60 reads like this. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all of Sheba will come to you bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Or from the psalmist, Psalm 72. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He, this is a messianic psalm, will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will be like dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. May gold from Sheba be given to him. There's a third reference to Sheba in 1 Kings 10, the first couple of verses, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. So what about the star that the Magi followed? Balaam, a pagan wise man you may recall from the Old Testament, prophesied about the rise of a king in Israel and about a star. He says in Numbers 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star rises from Jacob. A scepter comes forth from Israel. There is nothing improbable about a group of sages, about a group of magi being attracted to an astral event and then trying to investigate it more closely. In that day with the clean air, with the poor artificial lighting and with the long dark nights, the heavens were extraordinarily impressive and attention grabbing. Historians and magi were forever interpreting the future based on what they saw in the sky each and every night. The Babylonians were the first to set up what we know today as the signs of the zodiac based, as you know, on the stars. Those looking to ascribe what happened to some plausible explanations find that there are three fairly plausible explanations, even astronomical, even probable astronomical options. This in no way, in my estimation, undermines the power and glory of our God. All these are part of 
his original magnificent creation, all set in motion by him, all underscore the miraculous timing of our great God. But the first option is what is known as a planetary conjunction, a planetary conjunction. Every every 805 years, the planets of Jupiter and Saturn and Mars come into a repeated conjunction. One would have occurred approximately in 6 or 7 BC, very close to the birth of Jesus Christ. The planets would follow closely together in the night sky. In the months of May and September and December, they would conjoin. It is apparently quite a spectacular sight if you're looking into the heavens. But it is the interpretation that would have been most formative for the Magi. You see, the planet Jupiter was known in that day as the king's planet. It represented the highest god in all of the universe. So for the Babylonians, it was Marduk. For the Greeks, it was Zeus. For the Romans, it was Jupiter. The ringing planet Saturn was considered to be the shield and defender of Palestine. Uniting the two, putting them together in the zodiac is a sign of Pisces or fishes. And it represents an apocal event. A divine and cosmic ruler was to be born in Palestine in the culmination of history. It's amazing that our God can even use pagan wisdom and understanding to bring light into a dark world. The problem is, is that those three or two or three planets never seem to become close enough to be considered just one, one star. But since the Greek word translated star, the Greek word is aster, simply means heavenly body, some believe it could also have been a comet. Comets in Jesus' day were thought to herald important changes in the world. With a pointing head and a long luminous tail, a comet makes a far more startling impression than just a planetary conjunction. In 1871, John Williams published a list of the comets based on Chinese records and indicates that there would have been a significant comet, comet number 52, which would have appeared in March and in April of 5 BC near the constellation of Capricorn, visible throughout the entire Middle East for a period of about 70 days, maybe. And then there is a nova. A nova is not really a new star, but a star that suddenly and dramatically increases in brilliance due to an internal explosion. No astral event is more spectacular. In the Milky Way galaxy, the last supernova that we're aware of was in 1604 and was so bright that it could not only be seen at night, it could be seen brilliant throughout the entire day. Comet 53, a tailless comet on William's list that appeared in March and April of 4 BC was considered to be a supernova. Paul Mayer, a former professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, a fellow believer, a follower of Jesus, 
a member of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, projects the remarkable, remarkable conjunction that may have alerted the Magi to an important development in Palestine. The comet may have sent them on their way. The Novi may have appeared after they came to Jerusalem and actually led them to the house in Bethlehem. Mayer actually believes that all three may have been present. It underscores for him the coming of Jesus into this world was a cosmic event. Because of the rotation of the earth, everything in the night sky, except maybe Polaris and a few stars north of it, appear to move westward. And as people travel, the stars seem to move with them, stopping when they stop, moving when they do. Whatever the celestial event, it would have been absolutely amazing and incredible. And the Magi, as you and I know, perceived it to be absolutely correct. It was a spiritual and world-changing event. So what about the gifts that the Magi brought? You see, when a king came into power, other kings would bring and offer gifts to form alliances, to show a friendliness, to get and to remain on the new king's good side. The story from Solomon's life in 1 Kings 10, the verses I promised you a few moments ago, remind us of this Magi story. That text reads, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the name of the Lord, she came, arriving at Jerusalem with a large caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never before were so many spices brought in. The Magi, scripture notes, brought three gifts. The first gift, gold, was an expensive royal gift. Rich people possessed gold, and gold was mined in Arabia. Gold is said to underscore Jesus' kingship. Frankincense is an expensive, small, whitish spice in beaded or chunk form that is then ground into powder and gives off an odor like balsam when burned. It is found only in Arabia. Spices no longer seem all that precious to you and me today, but the aromic oils were once considered to be far more expensive in weight than gold because of their rarity and their use in perfumes, in incense, in medicine, and in religion. Frankincense was burned on the altar by priests in the temple. The smoke and the resulting aroma would rise and was a picture of the prayers of the people. Fragrant gum, resin, burns as incense. And some say it denotes Jesus' future priesthood and maybe his role as the sacrificial lamb. Myrrh. Myrrh is an expensive, aromic, orange-colored resin from a small, thorny tree in the Camophora family used in perfumes, anointing oil, medicine, and for embalming. It's also available only from Arabia. 
In biblical times, a king was not crowned in a coronation ceremony. No, he was anointed with an anointing oil, a blend of olive oil and myrrh. And the anointed king would be said to have an aroma, a unique mix to indicate that he was chosen by God. Kings would continue to wear their fragrance to show their kingliness in contrast to mere citizens or mere peasants. The psalmist says, God, your God has anointed you with oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and alloys and cassia. Song of Songs writes, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all scented powers of the merchant. Behold, it is the carriage of Solomon. Myrrh would underscore the kingship of Jesus. Hebrew for anointed one is Messiah. In Greek, the word is Christ. On the cross, Jesus would be offered wine mixed with myrrh. Hours later, he would be buried with myrrh. He was our suffering servant. Gold was mined in Arabia. Frankincense and myrrh are harvested from trees found only in southern Arabia. Wealth and royal dwellers in these desert regions would naturally have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The early church was well aware of this. Traveling and transporting these gifts 1,800 miles over dry, barren Arabian desert was dangerous. Not only because of marauders, but because of the lack of water and would normally necessitate, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say, travel in caravans and by camel. These are extravagant gifts, gifts fit for a king. Herod, ironically, had gained much, perhaps even most of his personal wealth by monopolizing the regional trading of spices. Interestingly, these spices came without his control, without his supervision, without his governance. A hidden message that I think underscores Herod's lack of ultimate control. So the test, the quiz, here we go. Let's check how we did. The star at Jesus' birth was prophesied in the Old Testament. That is true, Numbers 24. How many things are wrong with the song titled We Three Kings of Orient Are? Well, three. We don't know how many there are. Three is a plausible, possible, but not likely number. It's not likely there were just three. They were not kings, and they were not from the Orient. And if you put down three things, maybe you put down four. We is a little... I wonder what that means. We are. Three, Magi arrived at the stable of the shepherd after the shepherds. No, they didn't go to the stable. They went to the house. Matthew 2.11. Magi went to Jerusalem assuming a king would be born in the capital city and that Herod would be aware of that birth. That is true. The religious leaders summoned, the religious leaders Herod summoned told the Magi where Jesus would be born. That is false. The religious leaders told Herod, and Herod told the Magi. Six, the Bible tells us the Magi arrived on camels. That's false. The Bible doesn't tell us they did. They likely did, but the Bible doesn't say that. Tradition gets this one right. 
When Magi came, number seven, they saw Jesus and Mary. The Bible doesn't mention Joseph as being present. That is true. Matthew 2.11. Frankincense and myrrh are perfumes from tree sap in either powder or oil form. True. Nine is true. Frankincense and myrrh were considered more precious than gold. Ten is true. Herod accumulated much of his wealth in trading spices. Eleven, the Magi did not tell Herod about the child as Herod requested because the Magi were warmed in a dream. Matthew 2, 12. And finally, the Magi took the same route home as they took to Bethlehem. That too is false. When the Magi disappeared from history after their visit to Bethlehem, their likenesses and their cardboard cutout camels continued to lumber back into the nativity scenes year after year after year. Their visit did not coincide with the shepherds, but their appearance transforms history, especially yours and mine. You see, up until their arrival, the nativity was very localized. A few people from the lower class of a single nationality, likely even from the same lineage from David's, had been involved. Now with this new placed star in the sky, both the physical and the spiritual world were impacted. With the arrival of the Magi, rich Gentiles joined poor Jews. When the pagan Magi worshipped the small child, both the temporal and the eternal were transformed. This amazing story underscores the impact that Christ has and had coming into the world, both physically, visually, and spiritually. We may hear about the angels who appeared, but the news of Jesus and his coming shook the entire unseen world as well. Not only were angels telling the shepherds, but pagan magicians in distant countries were hearing about a powerful king who had arrived on earth. Those in the unseen world knew that Jesus would one day be king of all creation, that he was more than just human, anyone would be that can set the stars in place. He was the son of God. He would have authority over the entire seen and unseen world. It made the demons shake in fear. This great authority and power of Christ's coming was not just earth-shaking, it was also heaven-shattering. It rocked the entire universe, the entire created and spiritual world. This amazing story also underscores the impact of Christ's coming for the whole world, for you and for me, both Jewish and the Gentile world. The visit of Eastern sages has great significance for Christianity today. You see, the Magi were not only Gentiles, they were pagans. The fact that Gentile Magi came to offer the same adoration as the Jewish shepherds symbolizes the universal outreach of Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, and Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's what Epiphany, January 6th, yesterday, is all about. Christ came, the light for the whole world, to transform everything, Jew 
and Gentile, rich and poor, visible and invisible. Where Magi come from is not nearly as important as the fact that people now come from everywhere still today to worship this king who was born in Bethlehem. Before their arrival, the nativity was pretty much localized and confined. Only a few Jewish shepherds from nearby fields had come to see him and to worship him. But the visit of the Magi changes everything. It opens the door for you and for me, for anyone, for everyone to become part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this gift. It's amazing, marvelous gift. A son, your son, son of God, king of kings, Lord of lords, born humbly, born for us, born to die, born to rise, born to sit on the throne. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.